Hello, my name is Samuel Hansen, and you are listening to Strongly Connected Components, episode 44, brought to you by AcmeScience.com. On today's episode, I am joined by the people behind the Museum of Mathematics. We talk about the genesis of the museum, as well as what the museum is going to be all about. Here we go. I spoke with the people behind the Museum of Mathematics at their February 2012 Math Encounter talk. The speaker that night was Jeff Weeks, and he taught us all about the shape of the universe as well as uh, showed us some fun games uh, such as tic-tac-toe on a Taurus and nine ball on a Klein bottle. You can play those games by typing Taurus games into Google, it turns out. It's really a lot of fun. I suggest you go to do it. And I suggest that you do find out more about the Museum of Mathematics as well and maybe go attend one of their math encounters. You can find them at momath.org. But before you do that, how about you listen to these interviews? My name is Cindy Lawrence. I'm the Chief of Operations of the Museum of Mathematics. Okay, so I don't actually know, but what does Chief of Operations actually mean? So the Chief of Operations, in this case, tries to do anything that needs to be done to help get the museum open successfully. Uh, so how did, how did you become part of, of this, this vision, this project? Well, uh, as with many people at a certain stage in your life, your entire social life starts to center around your kids and your kids' friends and then your kids' friends' parents. And so I have three children who are interested in mathematics who each in turn participated in a uh, competitive gifted math program on Long Island. And Glenn Whitney, who's our executive director, uh, his daughters participated in the same program. And we got to know each other quite well through that program. Our, both of our daughters became friends. We each have two daughters. And one day he was picking his younger daughter up from my house and he mentioned to me that a little museum on Long Island called the Goudreau Museum had shut down. And it was a small museum focused on mathematics and I had been there and really enjoyed it. And so I, he told me that he was going to open a new museum uh, to sort of replace that one because he felt that closing really left a void that wasn't being filled, and I thought that sounded pretty neat. So I told him if he needed any help, just to let me know, and uh, I helped him uh, almost immediately in that I remembered the name of someone who had been involved with that museum, who happened to be uh, a mutual, I had a mutual acquaintance with that person. So we were able to track that person down, and that person was able to bring to the table a number of other people who had been involved with the old museum. Unfortunately, we found out that their entire collection had been thrown away. Oh but we now had a group of interested people. And the next thing that happened was we had a little bit of seed money and we really weren't sure what to do exactly to get started. 
until Glenn showed up at a meeting one day and said he had been invited to have a booth at the World Science Festival, which had decided that it was short on math content. And they heard about somebody opening a new museum of math and very kindly agreed to take a chance and give us a booth. And so uh, I ended up volunteering to uh, oversee or help organize what we would put in the booth. And it turned out that the enthusiasm was so high that instead of designing one booth, we ended up designing four booths plus all the, city sp uh, all the space on a city block in front of that booth. So we ended up uh, in 2009 having a presence at the World Science Festival that spanned half a city block. We had almost 4,000 people come through. The exhibit that we put together with the help of Ralph Applebaum Associates was a tremendous success. And it gave us the impetus to keep going, to see that people would really enjoy hands-on math content. And we haven't looked back since. So uh, once, once the museum is open and running, what do, what do you kind of uh, envision uh, you know, the day-to-day -day at the actual museum being like? Well, we're hoping that on a daily basis the museum will be teeming with activity. During the week, uh, we hope that we'll have a robust population of school group visits. That's our intent. And we hope to have after-school programs. We hope to have programs for young adults and maybe for seniors in the evenings. The weekends, we expect to have lots of family visitation. We expect to be an event space also. So we'll be hosting birthday parties and bar and bat mitzvahs and corporate events. And we've even already had two calls for people who would like to get married at MoMath. Uh, so how has how kind of the vision changed from when you uh, were first talking about it started at the World, World Science Fund, or the festival and now, and now you are you know, giving two stories in the middle of New York? That's a great question. And initially we started out with a goal of a 5,000 square foot facility in the suburbs of Long Island near Stony Brook University where a number of people had taken an interest in the project. And through sheer enthusiasm of the folks involved, we started to feel the need to maybe be bigger, maybe to start to look for space closer into the city. We looked in Queens. Meantime, our board was growing, and our board of trustees sent a very strong message to us that once realizing that we were going to be the only museum of this sort in North America, that we didn't belong in the suburbs. We needed to pick a major metropolitan area. It didn't have to be New York. It could be Washington or Boston or someplace on the West Coast but that we were not really going to be a suburban museum, that we should have, uh, we should set our sights higher than that. And uh, to Glenn's credit, uh, our executive director, he really uh, agreed with that vision and ran with it. And so we started fundraising. Initially, our capital campaign goal was six million, and that grew over time as our ambitions grew from a 5,000 square foot museum on Long Island, and we've now raised over $23 million, uh, which is enough to be sure that we're going to open and be sure that we're going to operate for some time, but uh, it's not enough to make sure that we become a, um, you know, the long-term viable institution that we would like to be. So we are actively fundraising still. Our ambition actually, uh, much as the World Science Festival was sort of the impetus for us to create this museum, we view this as our starter museum. We hope that we will be successful enough and that the demand will be great enough that we will, in eight to ten years, be launching a new capital campaign and looking for more than two stories. Uh, so just uh, one last uh, quick question. When is it being planned on opening? We are hoping to open by the end of this year. The reason we don't have a set date yet is we are waiting for one last building permit that we need to complete our construction. Once we have that in hand, we will be setting an opening date. We will start scheduling opening week events, and uh, we're really hoping that that will be an exciting time and that most of New York will come out and celebrate the opening of America's only math museum with us. Thank you very much. Thank you.
Hi, I'm Glenn Whitney. I'm the uh, director of the Museum of Mathematics. Okay, and uh, so I, I was kind of wondering what was the genesis of the idea, just in general? Well, you know, uh, all good ideas come from plagiarism, I suppose. Uh, and there was a tiny little Museum of Mathematics uh, several years ago uh, on Long Island, and I visited this many years ago with uh, my family and had a great time. Uh, and then I heard it had closed down, and it had been very small uh, for uh, about 20 years. Uh, and I thought that the country really needed a national museum of mathematics, and so uh, that's how this project got started. So when I, I was talking to your uh, chief of operations, you mentioned uh, that it was originally supposed to be a much smaller uh, project than it is now, and, and one reason that you're able to do more is that it's been surprised, at least to me, surprisingly successful at actually raising the money. Uh, just given how a lot of this country tends to talk about math, that, that surprised me a little bit. So I was wondering, because uh, I know that you were very integral in, in doing that, so I was wondering if you could maybe give me an idea of what, you, uh, what your pitch was to people when you were trying to convince them to give more money. Well, well, people get excited about things that are uh, unique, right? So we're the only institution of our kind in North America. Uh, people see a real need at this point in the country for uh, to improve the kind of quality of the mathematical workforce that we're producing. Uh, so there's a clear, you know, area of national need. And then, plus, I think for maybe the first time in the country's history, we really have uh, two reasonably, uh, you know, well-established groups that kind of owe their success to uh, to mathematics. And I'm thinking of sort of the dot-com kind of uh, generation, uh, people that maybe built a company founded on a mathematical idea, and also the uh, mathematical, you know, quantitative finance uh, crowd. So, you know, both of those groups have been very receptive to the to our message. And uh, if, if I'm not incorrect here, you come from the mathematical finance. That's world, true. Correct. I spent over a decade with a uh, you know a reasonably successful uh, quantitative finance firm. Yeah, which I'm sure uh, it survives just fine today. You know, uh, that's true. They did just fine without me. <laughs> but I was I was kind of wondering what's what's been like the biggest switch kind of going from from that world of, of mathematical finance and now you're executive director of a museum about mathematics. How's that switch been? Well, you know, I think the incredible collaborativeness and non-competitiveness of, of the museum uh, world has just been, uh, everyone's been very welcoming to us, very nurturing, very sharing of their ideas and methods and, and you know, working together to create the most wonderful visitor institutions possible. So uh, we really owe a lot to the museum community and we hope over time to give back to that community. And so what, what do you envision as kind of like the final goal? Like, I mean, I, admittedly, I'm sure you want to continue to get better and better, but what's kind of your, you know, biggest ambitious kind of goal for the museum? Well, the ultimate idea, the reason we're opening a cultural institution is because we would like to help change cultural attitudes toward mathematics. Uh, you know, there's deep-seated views that math is irrelevant. It's a sign of, of being out of touch if you, you know, love math or if you're good at math. We want to bring math into the social mainstream and have allow a lot more people to enjoy its excitement and beauty and, and fun. So uh, that's what we're all about. Okay, well, thank you very much. Thanks so much, Sam. Yeah, I'm Tim Niss, and I'm the chief of design for okay. the museum. Okay, so now this, this is something I'm honestly uh, quite interested in. I mean, because... The idea of, of creating uh, mathematical or designing mathematical exhibits for, for a museum is something that, that's uh, interesting to me because when you think of trying to get people interested in mathematics, the general amount of people don't want to just see a bunch of equations and things. I know that that's not what you're doing, so I was wondering if you'd kind of give a little bit of an insight in how 
how you go about thinking about uh, designing an exhibit uh, in a way that it's going to engage people and not kind of engage their hatred of math that seems to be so prevalent. <laughs> okay. Well, most of the uh, 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 the ideas, really, the mathematical ideas, but what's being represented are a given, and I work with that and work with the team to embody that in some way. And what uh, what the challenge, I think, is to describe something which is very often not very physical and embody it somehow. What's interesting about mathematics is that a lot of it has to do with form and uh, it can be represented with something that has form and those forms can intrinsically be beautiful things. So there's a lot to start with that people wouldn't even connect with mathematics. Uh, so you've got equations are really just one part and actually equations are are an example of probably something that would be the hardest thing to represent. But there's plenty of other ways to represent things that are connected to equations uh, in uh, a visual form. Uh, fractals is a good example, something that's very engaging. Uh, and uh, uh, so we've got, we've got uh, fractals that will be presented in a fixed physical sculptural way. We've got fractals that are represented in a dynamic way that's, uh, that involves an interactive where uh, uh, people can uh, affect the shape and the complexity of the fractals. Uh, so we've got, uh, there, there's a couple examples of ways that we can bring, bring the mathematics into the environment, into the space that yep. the, that the uh, visitor occupies. And either they do something with their body or they're looking at something that's intriguing. Um, they uh, physically move through through something, uh, and there's, it's very sculptural and very visual. Uh, so, of, of the kind of things that have been done so far, uh, could you give me maybe a couple of examples? I know there's been like the Math Midway work and, and things like that. So, a couple of the things that people could expect to see in the museum once it's open. Sure. Well, uh, the, with the Math Midway, we have the square wheel tricycle. I don't know whether this has been described, but the square wheel tricycle is, is uh, a favorite of the Midway. And it was so good and became such an em emblematic of uh, the museum that uh, we're reproducing that. So that's uh, going to be a centerpiece in our exhibit. We've got um, an exhibit where you walk into a uh, column of strings that are arranged in such a way that you can rotate the strings around on themselves and this cylinder of strings that you're occupying twists and creates a curved form called a, a, a hyperbolic hyperboloid or at least that's the name of the exhibit it is a hyperboloid <laughs> but we like to use terms like hyperbolic hyperboloid to, to get people excited and so that's uh, that's something where these straight lines uh, in a kind of non-intuitive way turn into something that forms a, a sculpture which is curved and you can be in the middle of it, you can look up through the center of it. Then we have uh, an exhibit about uh, moiré patterns where we can um, create very surprising effects uh, with moirés and I think uh, that's, that's something that people are familiar with but a lot of it comes to the presentation, to the, to the way to show it in ways that uh, that are engaging and one thing to recognize about a museum environment is that it's communal so a lot of our exhibits are uh, participatory can involve individuals or you can do it with other people we have an exhibit uh, that involves driving a car on a mathematical surface as a sculpture and you are sitting in a driver's seat and it's a remote control car that has a 
television, a camera in it, so that you are looking at it from the point of view of being in a little car, a miniature car, driving on a surface above your head, above the museum, above the general population of the museum. And you get to move around on that surface and see what the point of view is as you go upside down, around, and through. And you also are sitting in a driver's seat on the ground, and you can see that sculpture at the same time. So you get these two points of view, which we think is going to just be a wonderful, a wonderful experience. So I just have one last thing. It sounds like, are you really trying to then essentially try to engage like every possible sense? You know, I mean, it seems like there's tactile things, there's visual. Smell. I don't know emotion. where we have the smell of a Serpinski triangle. <laughs> uh, if we knew what that was, we'd have it. But I don't think we've got, I don't think we've got, we go, we go that far. But sure, if it's uh, multi-sensory and if it's something that uh, is, uh, has spectacle in it and that people can enjoy watching other people do, I think those are all sort of, uh, not directly sensory, but they, they bring in that full sense of a kind of a human cultural experience. And that usually would involve all of the senses. Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. I'm George Hart, Chief of Content at the Museum of Mathematics. Okay, so I kind of just wanted to, to, to talk to you about how, how you end up figuring out, uh, as chief of content, what sort of things should be covered uh, in a museum of mathematics? Yeah, that's a difficult question. Math is a huge field. There's so much to it, and lots of it is fun. Um, so we're not trying to cover any particular things in the way that like classroom teachers have a curriculum they have to do. Um, the, mo the most important issue is to have things that are fun and engaging and that create a nice emotional connection to math. So when a visitor comes to the museum, they should do something that they say, wow, I enjoyed that, and that's math, therefore I like math. And if we can do that, we can help to, uh, to counter the stereotypes in our culture that, where people think math isn't fun because they've never actually seen what math really is. So, I mean, kind of speaking of, of the school stuff, I'd, I'd heard a previous interview you had done with someone, don't remember who, uh, but you had mentioned uh, trying to go beyond, uh, not just uh, not stick to a specific curriculum, but actually kind of go beyond what most people would uh, find out in school. So what, what are those sort of things that is not what you would consider school mathematics that you definitely want people to experience when they come to the museum? Well, again, it isn't that there's anything specific that I definitely want them to experience, but I want to stretch them a bit from, from their preconceived notions of what math is. And so we can show people things about, uh, say, graph theory, you know, that that's something where, you know, you can talk about nodes and vertices and how they connect, and then you can apply that. So you can show them a maze and how it has a certain representation geometrically, but you can simplify it and see the essence of what the path is uh, in terms of a graph, that sort of thing. So things that perhaps uh, mathematicians uh, take for granted every day that other people don't necessarily see. Um, come from all different fields, whether it's, you know, topology or algebra or, or logic. Um, people don't uh, have any sense of how broad mathematics is. Yeah, it's, I, and you mentioned, you know, mathematics that is fun and, and enjoyable, and I, I agree. I mean, I, I love mathematics. That's why I do what I do. But I, so I was wondering, I mean, you gave, gave the graph theory example. So what, what sort of things do you tend to look for in, in uh, topic possible topic areas that allow you to uh, see that, oh, that, that will be something that, that people will engage with? Um, 
it's again not the topic as a starting point. It's really the emotional bond. So okay. that no, I mean that, that's what I was yeah. trying to get. At. Like so not any specific topic, right. but what's but in there? Can I can I come up with an exhibit idea that has some mathematical thinking that gets people thinking rigorously and logically as as mathematicians do, and yet there's some fun aspect to it that um, you know as you play this you're you're doing something that you enjoy. Uh, so that you'll want to come back. You want to tell your friends, I had this really cool time at this museum today, the Museum of Mathematics. And then once people start to do that, um, I have the this, this strong hope that uh, then they'll go on and begin to research the mathematics itself. So that the, the deep, careful mathematics is hard work. It takes a lot of time. You've got to you know, think hard, whether you're reading a book or looking at a web page or, or doing whatever. You've got to put a lot of hours into it. Um, so the hope is that because we show them something that's cool and fun and they're engaged, they're going to have the intellectual curiosity to then go on and then put the effort into it so that they really can learn what the mathematics is about. Now, uh, before, before becoming the chief of content and while you were, uh, I believe you were a professor at uh, SUNY Stony Brook, right? Yes. Uh, you, you were also a self-described uh, mathematical sculptor? Yes, I've been a sculptor for really my whole life. It's just gotten sort of fancier and fancier as I, I go along. But I like to make uh, physical objects that convey mathematical ideas. So I like to take a, a mathematical theorem or a proof or something that I consider beautiful or elegant from a mathematician's aesthetic and create a, an object that people can look at and get them to begin to ask mathematical questions. You know, why, what are the lengths and angles that make that work? What's the pattern? What's the structure? Um, when they begin to think like a mathematician by asking these kinds of questions about process and, and logical development, um, I, I think we get people to be much more rational and that's, that's a great thing in our society. Thank you very much. That is all the time we have for this episode of Strongly Connected Components. If you want to leave any feedback or perhaps suggest a guest for the show, send me an email, samuel at acmescience.com. Speaking of acmescience.com, how about you head over there and check out the blog post for this episode. You'll find some links to the Museum of Mathematics, as well as, you know, just some tourist games that you can play while you should be doing your other work. Don't worry, I won't tell anyone. I also want to give a hearty thanks to the Greenpoint co-working space in Brooklyn where I edited this show. They're a great bunch of people and if you find yourself in the area needing a place to work, I would heartily suggest checking it out. The music on today's episode is from Hard and Firm, the song Pie in the beginning. And now the song I'm speaking over is Guitar Track by Who is Praetorian you can find over at SoundCloud. This podcast is a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike licensed podcast, so please feel free to use any of the audio you like as long as you say you got it from acmescience.com and then you share it in the same way that we do. That's not too much to ask. I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode of Strongly Connect Components, and I hope that you come back for our next episode and then all the rest of them after that.